Morning, everyone. Um, I wasn't down there for you, was it, Mark? So I get to do the last... Well, Mark actually said to me, I said, Mark, am I doing the last one in the series of Not Just for Sunday School? Mark goes, do whatever you want. So it is quite dangerous, isn't it? He's a brave man. But I decided to do the last one for not just for Sunday School series that we've been going through. And um, for those who were here last week, it's a bit of a tough act for me to follow because of Hannah does such a brilliant job last week. So I'm going to draw no more attention to Jonah uh, so that we have no more comparisons between what I say and what Hannah did. Um, And we're going to move straight on to Jesus walks on the water. So if you can turn to Matthew 14 with me, or it should come up. I should find it first, shouldn't I? And I'm just going to read it into the context that this comes into. So it's a little bit more of a meaty passage. um, But if I don't read it in the context, I think we'll miss out on the significance of it. So I'm going to start off with, at the start of chapter 14. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. And he thought he wanted to put him to death, uh, and though he wanted to put him to death, He feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl. And she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, "'This is a desolate place.' And the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them, to me. Uh, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up twelve baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. 
and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter said, uh, answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why do you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So there's a lot there to read, and I'm not going to unpack all of that, but the context I want to give it to you is that this is a pivotal time in all of the Gospels. Now, normally we have the Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar in the structures of how these Gospels are and the way they flow, and John is a very different type of a Gospel. But these story of John's death and the feeding of the 5,000 is in all four of the Gospels. In fact, the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle that is recorded in all four of the Gospels. It is a significant miracle. It is the pivotal point of Jesus' ministry. It is after this point that we see him prepare to go towards Jerusalem. And if I do not give you this context, it becomes almost meaningless the next incident that happens. And normally when I, I don't know about you, but normally when I hear this, Jesus walks on the water, most of the times I hear it preached as Peter walks on the water. Do you know that there's only three Gospels that mentions this story? Luke doesn't even bother to mention this, Jesus walking on the water. How many of those Gospels mention Peter walking on the water? Just one. And and it's not even the Gospel that would be most aligned with Peter. Mark doesn't even mention about Peter walking on water. It's Matthew that mentions Peter walking on the water. So I'm not going to stand here and give you a sermon about, let's get out of the boat, people. It's a new season. It's Summer's over. It's time to get out of the boat. Step out. It's not about that because this is not really... This is not really a story about Peter. This is not about Peter walking on water. This is is correctly titled, Jesus Walks on the Water. Now I want you to hold this for a moment. I want you to hold this story of Jesus walking on the water and I just, just put it down for a little bit. And we'll come back to it because I'm going to give you a little bit of a a journey through the revelation that came to Moses and David and Isaiah to actually lead us into why I think it's so significant we need to talk about Jesus walking on the water. So we're going to turn right back to Deuteronomy 32. So if you've got your electronic Bibles or your paper Bibles, turn to Deuteronomy 32. We're going to go right to the end of 32 verse 48. And this is about Moses. He's now led the people through the wilderness. He's given them his last instructions. He's just about to die. He's handing it all over to Joshua. And this is a story where we pick it up. And it says this. That very day the Lord spoke to Moses, Go up to this mountain. 
Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, opposite Jericho, and view the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel for a possession. And die on the mountain which you go up, and be gathered to your people, as Aaron your brother died in Mount Hor, and Aaron was gathered to his people. Because you broke faith with me in the midst of the people of Israel at the waters of Meribah Kadesh, in the wilderness of Zin. And because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the people of Israel, you shall for in the midst of the people of Israel, for you shall see the land before you, but you shall not go there into the land that I am giving to the people of Israel. So here we have a story of Moses who has led these people, a stiff-necked, rebellious people for 40 years. And he doesn't get to go into the promised land. In fact, he gets taken up on a mountain and says, you can see it, Moses, but you can't enter it. And, 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 and God says to him, it's because you didn't treat me as holy, Moses. You, out of all my people, you didn't treat me as holy. Now, where did this happen? Well, we need to find out why, why did this even come to a point of this? So we need to turn back further. We need to turn back to Exodus. Exodus 17. Excuse me, no, Numbers 20. You weren't that fast to get there, were you? Okay, Numbers 20. And we're going to be Numbers 20 and verse 10. Now let's go, let's just go before that. So then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. Now here we are at another stage of the journey of the Israelites where they've come out of the promised land, they've seen many miracles and they're grumbling and complaining once again saying, we don't have what we want. Why have you brought us here? We don't have what we want. You brought us here to die? And Moses, kind of exasperated almost with his brother Aaron, they, they go and they fall before God. And they come and say, God, what's happening? These people. And they fell on their faces and the glory of God appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and the cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he was commanded. Then Moses and Aaron gathered and they assembled together before the rock. And he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Shall, you, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly and the congregation drank and their, and their livestock. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold, my, uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. Here we have this story of Moses, God 
gives him a command. It's quite a simple one. Moses, you don't even have to do anything more than just speak to the rock and water will come out. Water will come out of the rock, Moses. Just speak to it. But Moses, he's almost, as, he's almost sick of these people rebelling. And he comes out and he strikes the rock twice. Now, why would he strike the rock? The rock? Why? God gives him no instructions to strike the rock. There's no even hint of it here. And Moses comes out and he strikes a rock because Moses has done this before. I've been in this situation before, God. I know what to do now. I've got it. I know what I need to do. I've seen it before. Let's go back to Exodus 17. Because this is a, almost a replica of a story that's already happened. Do you know, when I was looking at this, I was, I was making sure I've, I've mixed the timelines up wrong here. Because this story seems so similar. But the story we've got back here is, once again, the, the people of Israel. Now, this is even more significant the first time that it comes out of the rock, the water out of the rock. Because the Israelites have come out, and it's just not long after they've received the bread from heaven. So here they are. There's this, this, the most miraculous of signs is they're in the desert. They've got nothing to eat. And God sends them daily bread from heaven. And all they've got to do is just go outside and scrape some of this up. And this is, and, and immediately after this miracle of God saying, I'll provide you bread, what do they say? Well, you're giving me bread, great, that's fine. And, it, and not only was it bread, it says it tastes sweet like honey. So it wasn't just like day-old bread. It wasn't like stale. It wasn't just like, you know, that white bread where you, you, it goes doughy when you eat it. No, this was like sweet honey, you know, bread from Hannah Manna. And immediately after, they say, you've given me the bread. Do you know what? I'm a bit thirsty. Where's the water? Have you brought us here to die? You've fed us, yeah, but we still don't have water. We don't have what we want. Where's our water? And they quarreled with Moses. And Moses comes before God. And at this stage, this is quite early on, and Moses is actually scared. He comes before God and he's saying, they're ready to stone me. So Moses goes to God and he says, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with, uh, with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? So here we have this story. It's very similar to the other one. Moses, in this stage, he's, he's terrified. He's like, it's not long when we've come through the, the, the Red Sea, and these people, like, the food wasn't enough, God. And they're, they're ready to kill me. But the significant point of this story is this is the first time that we have a mention of God and a rock. This is the first scripture where God aligns himself with the word 
rock. And when you notice the way that God says this to Moses, he says, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock. First time that we have this mention of God and the rock mentioned, and God is saying, Moses, I know you're scared, you're terrified, but I'm going to stand before you. I am standing on the rock. I, God, am standing on the rock. Strike the rock and water shall come out. And the significance of this is God is showing Moses that he is dependable. I stand on the rock. You can trust that what I say will happen. And what I love about this is is about, if we go to Exodus 33, is the next time we hear the mention of rock and God in the same sentence, it's when Moses meets God. Listen to this. Moses says, "I, I want to see your face, God. And God says, this very thing that you have spoken I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you the name of the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold There is a place by me, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. There is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And and while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock. So we have this story, first of all, of Moses being terrified, trusting that God has said, I am on the rock, strike it, I will provide. And then later on, 15 odd chapters later, God is saying, now you stand beside me on the rock and I will hide you in the clefts of the rock and then my whole goodness, all of the goodness of God will pass before you. When you are on the rock, when you are on the rock, Now, why am I, and you're probably thinking, now you've told me to park this story of Jesus walking on the water, and you're talking about rocks. Rocks and water don't really go on top, really, do they? How is this going to line up? You need to just stay with me. I, I, don't, don't switch off too quickly. Because the significance of this is God is showing Moses that he is the rock. And this is, this is really important for us to understand. Because now we have this understanding that when Moses gets into um, his last part of life and God's told him it's because you weren't holy, Moses has understood something of great significance, a revelation that was 40 years in the making. 40 years he traveled in the desert from the, the first time he struck the rock to the time when he is about to leave. And there's a revelation about the rock that comes to Moses that has never been seen before. 
Now Moses had every right to be miffed at the people, to be a little bit cheesed off that he had spent his whole life, I'd, I'd given all of my life for this purpose of getting these people to the promised land, and I miss out because of one, one mistake. Come on. Moses, out of everyone, had reason to be upset with God over this. But he had a revelation about what the rock was. Turn to me to Deuteronomy 32. Let's go to the start of 32. This is Moses' prayer. Now, he has just given the instructions to all of the Israelites. He's saying, I have instructed you. These are the instructions that you must keep to. If you don't, these are the curses you will get. If you do, these are the blessings you will get. Stay close to God. And then he prays. Or sings this song. This is a song that Moses sings over the people. Listen to this revelation. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. And let the earth hear the words of my mouth. May my teaching drop as the rain. May my speech distill as the dew. Let gentle rain upon the tender grass and like showers upon the herb. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, his work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a good, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. Moses' revelation of him not treating God as holy because he was asked to stand on the rock and he had decided that he would take it in his own hands and say, I know what to do, I shall do it again. I will strike it for it worked last time. And God was saying to him, Moses, that is not what I asked you to do. And Moses' revelation is, God, you're not, you're not fair. That's not his revelation. His revelation is the rock. The rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are justice. Forty years in the making of God bringing Moses to a point where he understands something about when God says, I am the rock. I am the rock. And we move along a little bit in, in time to 2 Samuel. We go to 2 Samuel 22. And here we have King David now. And King David is, has picked up this theme of the rock. And if you look through the Psalms and the Psalms that David wrote, there, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think there's about 30 of them that will mention the word of God being the rock. See, David has caught something of this mystery of God being the rock, and he is one of the ones who is just living it out. And he grasped his revelation that was given to Moses. And this is what David says. This is his song he sings. 2 Samuel 22, The Lord is my rock 
and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, you save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. David had this understanding that was the same as Moses, that God was saying, I am the rock that you can depend upon. See, Moses was given the revelation that God stands on the rock. Now you stand on the rock beside me, Moses. And Moses goes, ascribe, ascribe greatness. My rock. All his works. All his works. And then David comes along and he, he picks up this, this theme of the justice of God, the firm foundation. And he weaves it into nearly every single psalm of deliverance and crying out to God. And then we get this, we go forward a bit more, and we're going to go to Isaiah now. Isaiah 44. And here we have this prophet Isaiah, who is one of the most, uh, has some of the most amazing prophecies about who? Jesus. Jesus. And he says this in 44.6, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me, since I appointed an ancient people. Let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? There is no rock. I know not any. Here is Isaiah associating God with being the rock and God having a bit of a sense of humor here. I love this part of the passage where God has his sense of humor. He goes, now I don't know anyone who's beside me. Like, do you know anyone? And here's this God who's just, in previous chapters, has just described how amazing, how powerful, how he's going to deliver and save the people of Israel. And I think he's having a bit of a chuckle to himself here because he's saying, I'm the all-knowing God. Do you know anyone? No, there's no one else to know. I know everything and I know there's no one beside me. Do you? Do you understand that? I am the rock. There is only one. I am the rock. But the significance of this passage it's Isaiah links this into his Redeemer. And if you notice at the start here, it says, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer. So he's not just talking about one person of the Godhead. There's two people of the Godhead mentioned here. But it even goes even further than it says, I am the first and I am the last. Where have we heard that before? The Apostle John actually writes that very thing in Revelation 1. He says, when he has this vision of Jesus, in fact, he doesn't even know it's Jesus at that point. He has this vision of what seems to be the Son of Man, and he falls on his feet because he hears this saying, I am the first, I am the last. I once was dead, but now I am alive. 
And when John turns and sees this, who was once dead but now alive, he falls down and worships. And we know this is Jesus because any other time John fell down and worshipped a heavenly body in Revelation, the angel or whatever it was would say, what are you doing? Get up! But not this time. Isaiah has linked not only the rock being God, but the rock being the person of Jesus Christ. Now, Isaiah is saying, not only is God the rock, but Jesus himself is the rock. And you'd be like, oh, that's a bit of a stretch, Ashley. How, how you, you, I, I'm with you, kind of, but he's not really saying that directly. Well, fortunately for me, there's other people in the Bible who have mentioned this. So if we go to 2 Corinthians... Sorry, not 2 First Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 10. Now this is the Apostle Paul speaking now, and this is what he says. For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and they all drank from... The same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Now, that's, that's not, I'm not making this up now. Like, this is, I can't read it any plainer than this. Now, it's saying that not only is Jesus a rock, I mean, the Apostle Paul here is actually unpacking it in a greater way. He's saying, he's a bread from heaven. He's a bread from heaven. And we know that. We, we've, we've probably had, had many sermons on that. Jesus is the bread from heaven. Yes, this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. That bread, the manna, that is Jesus. And who led them? By, the, by pillar of cloud? By day? Or the pillar by fire by night? Who was that? Well, Paul is saying Jesus. And then the rock. What was the rock that God stood on? That God told Moses to stand on? That David cried out to? That Isaiah prophesied about? The rock is Christ. The rock is Christ. And if we just flick back, we have Paul understanding this in a great way, and he unpacks it really well for us, because Paul, the the great thing about the New Testament is it reveals stuff to us in simple ways because God now has manifested himself in Christ Jesus. And, And Paul comes back and he says this, he says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Paul is linking the rock, which is Christ, to the foundation upon which we must lay, for nothing can can be built unless it is upon the foundation which is the rock. Now let's turn back to the story that we started with. Jesus is the rock. But I want to hear, I want you to hear the significance of this story that Jesus is in right here. This this gospel message is described in this way for us to understand. It is not Peter walks on water. 
Jesus is not only the rock, he is not only the rock, but wherever Jesus walks, everything, every situation, every circumstance turns to solid ground. The reason Jesus walked on water is because he is the rock and where he is, is solid ground. Now, it may look like a storm, and the waves may look ferocious. But where Jesus is, is solid ground. He makes the storm solid ground. Where we walk, we walk in Christ on solid ground. I want to read a little bit more of David, and then we're going to finish. Hear this. This is, this is a revelation that David had before he even knew. With faith he saw the Christ as a rock. And listen to this. For the waves of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me, the cords of Sheol entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. He sent from on high, he took me, he drew me out of many waters, he rescued me with, uh, from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they, were not, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delights in me. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? This God is my strong refuge and has made my ways blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set them secure on the heights. You gave a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. This story of Jesus walking on the water. This story is to show us that he is not just a man who could walk on water, but he is the rock, and where he walks, he makes it solid ground. When I was preparing this, this is, this is what I felt God gave me. And these are the words I wrote down, and I just, I just wrote it down, and I want to read out what I felt God say to me the first. He said, I was made to walk with Jesus. Where he walks, he calls me to follow, because he is the rock, my firm foundation. In him, my feet are always on solid ground. I will not sink in the depths. I will, be no, I will not be stuck in the miry bog. For he has placed my feet upon solid ground. He has placed me in him. Now wherever I walk in him is solid ground. Our confidence is in Jesus Christ because he is the rock. And the storms may not stop. And we will all have trials, we will all have moments in our lives where we just think, I feel like everything is just sinking sand. I feel like everything is nothing more than a storm and I'm about to be engulfed 
and I'm going to be sucked down into the pit of despair. But Jesus comes to you in the storm and he comes on the storm as the rock who will solidify where you are so that you stand firm upon the ground. 